Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. Good morning again. Um, My name is Tim Barton. I'm the pastor of Family Ministries here at the Vine. Um, If you're visiting with us, we'd love to meet you afterwards. Uh, And if you're online with us, um, anything we talk about this morning, um, please feel free to reach out this week. Um, My email address is tbarton at thevinecc.com or our lead pastor, Adams at thevinecc.com. We'd we'd love to hear from you and and talk about things um, that we talked about this morning. About eight and a half years ago, um, I was teaching our elementary kids here at the Vine, and it's really hard for me to believe that that was eight and a half years ago that this happened, um, because some of those same kids now, kids, um, are just, have just graduated from high school or are in high school, and it is amazing how fast time goes. Um, so, so about eight and a half years ago, I, I told them a story that became quickly known as Pastor Tim's toothbrush story. And the reason this story was very well known, became well known is because I think it resonated a little bit with, with, with the kids. Um, let, me, let me tell you that story because here's what happened, all right? My father said, my, my mother was working second shift, and my, my father said to myself and my sister, I was in about third grade, about um, eight or nine, my sister was six or seven, go upstairs and get ready for bed and I'll be up to pray with you and, and um, get you, you know, tuck you in in a few minutes. And so... Um, Part of getting ready for bed was go upstairs, brush our teeth, put our pajamas on, and get in bed. So we went upstairs and, and we got ready for bed. And my father comes upstairs, prays with us, says good night, and he walks out of the room. Now to this day, well, I kind of know now because I'm a father, but to this day, <laughs> I don't really know what made him that particular night go into the bathroom and check our toothbrushes. Hence the toothbrush story, right? Uh, he comes back to my room and he says, son... Did, did you brush your teeth? Yes, I brushed my teeth. Son, why is your toothbrush not wet? Uh, I, I guess it dried really quick. Son, toothbrushes don't dry that quick. Why is your toothbrush not wet? Did you really brush your teeth? I, I don't know. I guess I used my sister's. Now, I don't know of any eight or nine-year-old boy that's going to use her six or seven-year-old sister's toothbrush or anyone else's. Um, he said, son... Did you brush your teeth? I didn't even stop there. I just kept going. And soon I learned the consequences and the seriousness. Um, I had heard it. I had experienced it before, but this one really had an impact. The seriousness of lying um, in, in our family. I will tell you that I never lied about brushing my teeth again um, because I understood that that lying was serious. I also learned from that, and in times past after that, that the accusation of lying, of calling someone a liar, is very serious as well. And so when I was studying for this passage this week, and in the past couple weeks, I'm reading through the passage, and it gets to a place in it, and we'll read it in a moment, where it says, if we do not believe these things this testimony of God, then we are making God to be a liar. Now, the extreme of that is in in unbelief, rejecting the truth of God and and who God is and the need for Jesus, the extreme of that is unbelief, right? And so if we are are living in unbelief, we are are saying, God, you are a liar. And we're going to look at that as we go through here today. 
But as we go through that, what I also want to do, because John's writing, he's writing against false teaching, and he's writing against two, two lies. Um, but even as he's doing that, he's also talking to believers. And he's saying for believers, and I think most of us who are here today and those online probably are believers, uh, followers of Jesus. He's saying to them, we also um, should, should have caution and should watch our own lives because often in the way we live our lives, we might be making it seem like God is a liar. We do that in two ways. We're going to look at that today. Um, one is that we act like we know better than God, and we believe we know more than God. And I'm going to show you why I think that's, that can be true in the way we live our lives today. But when we're done, we're going to come back to this point, and that is that God is faithful even when we, see, when we make him seem like a liar. God is faithful even when we make him seem like a liar. So look to 1 John with me, chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. And I remind you that this is God's word. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And pray with me just a moment. Lord, as we come to this passage this morning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask um, we ask, Lord, that by your Spirit's power, those here that are followers of you, Lord, that we would examine our own hearts this morning, that, that, that you would examine our hearts, that you would show us where we act like we know better than you. Those places where we still believe we know more than you. Lord, demonstrate those to us today, we ask. But then, Lord, by your word, would you demonstrate your own faithfulness? And Lord, we ask that for those here this morning that are not followers of you, for those watching online, Lord, we ask that you would tenderly, graciously, mercifully would show today 
that you are the only hope. But that, Lord, hoping in you is worth it because you are faithful. Lord, I can say a lot of words, but they accomplish nothing without a demonstration of your Spirit's power. And so we ask that you would make your name known this morning among us. And Father, we want to take time this morning, even as we turn to your word in a moment, Lord, to just acknowledge the, the grief and the pain that members in our congregation are feeling. Lord, as the Arps family, as Patricia lost her mother this weekend, Lord, for Rick Lee and the passing of his sister, and Lord, we pray that you would be near to them. Lord, we pray that your presence would be with them this day as they mourn and grieve. We ask, Lord, that you would uphold them, Lord, when their own strength is, would fail. Lord, we pray, Lord, for your compassion, for your love to be poured out upon them in this time. So now, Lord, as we look to your word, we look to you for what you would teach us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, again, um, we're going to see that God is faithful even when we make him seem like a liar. And there's two ways we do that. First is we act like we know better than God. And so we see this in the first five verses. Um, what's going on here is the false teachers are, are saying it doesn't really matter how you act. It's about the knowledge that you have. It's about um, this, this higher knowledge. And so the way you live your life doesn't really matter. And John here in the first five verses uses a phrase. And anytime these phrases are repeated, we really want to look into them and know what they mean. He uses this phrase, born of God. And he uses it three times. So we need to stop and say, what is he referring to there? And if you think back, so, so this is the same John the, the um, Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John. And in, Genesis, I mean, in John chapter 3, this, this guy named Nicodemus, um, who was a teacher, comes to, um, he was a teacher, a Pharisee, a leader in, of, the, of the Jews. He comes to Jesus by night. He doesn't want to come see him during the day. It's a little sketchy, so he comes by night. And he comes to Jesus and he says, he says to Jesus, um, he, he acknowledges that Jesus is, is from God because of the signs he performed. But, but Jesus quickly stops him and says, it's not about any of that. No one, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And so this phrase born again, is, that's where we first see that back in chapter, uh, John chapter 3. Um, it's a confusing phrase. If, if you're sitting here today and you haven't been to church much in your life or even recently, you've not heard that phrase. That is really weird, Right. That's what Nicodemus basically says to Jesus <laughs> to say being born again. Yeah, that's a Christian phrase because Nicodemus thinks, how can I go back into, he says, how can I go back into my mother's womb a second time and be born? <laughs> not, not, a, not a normal phrase. Well, Jesus explains to him, he's not talking about entering a second time into his mother's womb, but it's a spiritual birth. It's a new birth that we all need. Um, that's what John's also describing here in 1 John. Look in verse one, uh, the, first, the first part of verse one, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Those born of God, he's saying, have faith and believe that Jesus is the Christ. 
And then as if anticipating the next question, how do they know they've been born of God? He continues in the second half of the verse. He says, those born of God love the father and others who are born of him. Then his logic continues. So then how do we know we love the children of God? How do we know we love those who have been born of God? Well, verse two and three answer that. We know those born of God love the children of God because they love God and obey his commandments. They're learning to view his commandments as good, not as burdensome commandments. I'll pause on that for a minute because if you've been listening throughout this whole series, uh, that, that should make you pause. Because John throughout this letter has been saying what? John throughout this letter has been saying, when we, we, we know we love God when... We love our brothers or we love others born of God. That's when we know we love God. Now he's saying we know we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. So then which is it, John? Which is it? Well, you probably know the answer. John said it's both. It's both. They're inseparable. If you've been born of God, if you are a follower of Jesus, you will love God and you will love others. Those are the greatest commandments. They sum up the entire word of God. And we'll do this not perfectly, but change will come. And he goes on to say why, verses four and five. Because we are born of God, we will overcome the world. We will have victory through the faith that has been given to us. So the faith manifested in or seen in those who believe that faith is manifested and it's seen in those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Right, let me sum all that up. God through John is telling us that when we're born of God, that it will make a difference in our lives. It doesn't bring perfection in this life, but it does begin to make a change. It makes a change because when we're born in him, of, him, of God, he gives us the freedom and ability to love him and love others. Here's the reality. Until we're born of God, we really can't do that in a godly way. But when we're born of him, he changes us and gives us that freedom and ability to do that. And, and here's the beautiful part. When we're born of God, as we grow in him, that becomes less and less of a burden to us. It says his commands aren't burdensome. So when we're born of God, then he is faithful to his children. And we need to understand that as followers of Jesus, we still battle with this in our hearts. And so if you're here and you're, you're not a follower of Jesus, understand we're not even claiming we got all this right. We're not even claiming we're doing all this right. So, so that's kind of a misunderstanding about what we claim in the church. No, what we're saying is we're still struggling with this in our hearts but we know we have a God that can change us. And so we're asking him to show us where we think, where, where we act like we know better than him. And to change us to live and act like he's no better. That he knows better. This change happens because of Jesus and God's faithfulness. And so following him then is not a burden. The second way we make God seem like a liar is when we believe we know more than God. 
We see that in verses 6 to 12 that we're going to talk about in a minute. But to really understand this, it can be a confusing section of Scripture. So to understand this, I want to give you a little bit of what's going on, a little bit more detail of what's going on um, in, in the background of this, of this passage. So there's one specific false teacher, and it's mentioned, he's mentioned a lot um, in 2nd century Christianity and the writers of 2nd century Christianity uh, because they're dealing with what his teachings were towards the end of the 1st century. Um, and this is um, Serenthus. Serenthus um, was a studied man. He had a bit of everything in his so-called religion. He, he put Judaism, Christianity, moralism, higher knowledge, um, you know, things you'd learn, quote, at the university. Like he's, he's tied all this stuff together. And the theology he developed was a theology simply of the mind. And so in Serenthus' teaching, religion was an enlightenment that took man to a higher knowledge. He liked Jesus the teacher, but he taught that Jesus was just an ordinary man born, good man, ordinary man born. At his baptism, he became, quote, the Messiah. But because the Messiah couldn't, because he had a higher knowledge, because he was better, could, he couldn't have then been the Messiah at the crucifixion because that was too gruesome. That couldn't be true. Um, that didn't follow his logic. And so he taught that the Spirit came to Jesus at baptism at Jesus's baptism, but he left Jesus before the cross so that Jesus died the death of an ordinary man. Now, y'all probably hear tons of problems in that, right? But, but the one I want to narrow down with today um, is that Serenthus believed that he knew more than God. He had put together all these different teachings. He had teachings. He had meshed all these different things. The world was saying things from different religions, things from just moralism and life. And he was saying they were true, even though his teaching explicitly denied what God said was true about Jesus, the son of God. And it explicitly denied that because of our sin and our helplessness, the crucifixion, Jesus' blood being shed was necessary for us to have eternal life. Serenthus believed he knew more than God, that he had that deeper knowledge. And, and so what John's doing was responding then to that specific false teaching that had developed among the church. And he's showing followers of Jesus that what we believe about Jesus matters. We need to believe what the Bible teaches about Jesus, not some different version that's thrown around in culture. And so look in verses six through eight. He says, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. So there's several interpretations of what the water and the blood mean. But, but now going back to the second century teachings, what I think it, what I think it means um, is that the water is referring to the baptism of Jesus. And the blood is referring to the crucifixion, to the, to the death of Jesus. And so John's saying that Jesus, the Son of God, he came as the Messiah at the beginning. He came to be the Messiah. That wasn't a mistake. He came to be the one to save his people. He was the promised one to come. He was the one that was going to take all the stuff, the junk, the bad, the, the, the results of sin in this world, and he was going to make those new in the lives of individuals, but it's also the promise of the new heavens and the new earth. So it's both. And that's who he was when he came. His baptism 
indicated that he was the Messiah, but that's not when he started being that. It just showed that he was. And then he shed his blood to do what we've been talking about throughout the series. Go back to that word propitiation. He shed his blood to take the wrath of God and give his children the righteousness of God, that we might be declared righteous before him. So what John's saying here, hey, here's two historic events. Keep in mind, he's writing this not long after it all happened. And he said, there's, there's still eyewitnesses of this. There's eyewitnesses that this happened in Jesus' life, that Jesus was baptized, that Jesus' blood was shed. There's eyewitnesses to it. You all know it as he's writing to this church in Ephesus. But then he says, and the Holy Spirit, the Spirit is the one who testifies to these real events by telling us inwardly in our hearts that these events in Jesus' life were real and significant. Now, how many of you have ever just known something is true? All right, let me give you an example. I know that, that's a little like, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not saying yes to that. Um, some, so in my house at home, um, we have moments of very clear, I know this is right. And usually it has something to do with, um, we'll call them discussions. Okay, they're arguments over, um, over sports trivia. And I have a kid who wasn't even alive when it happened telling me, this is what happened. <laughs> I'm like, no, I was alive then. And we'll be go back. I just know it's true. And we, we'll go back and forth. And then we go to Google and we look it up and he's usually right. Um, and sometimes it's over Bible trivia. Sometimes it's over the food, you know, what food is better and why and what seasonings to use, et cetera. So we, we have all that going on. But, but there's that sense of, I just know it's right. Well, what's going on here is when the spirit testifies in our hearts, we actually know. There's a, there's a different kind of knowledge. We know it's true. These, the three of these things testifying together, the spirit, the water, and the blood. That gives real assurance. That gives us the ability to know it's stronger than anything else we can know. So the spirit and the water and the blood then cannot be divided. They're together. They're three parts of this one testimony. Verse nine says, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. So John's not holding back here. He says, what God says is what matters. What we say, what man says only matters if it's in line with what God says. We cannot take little parts of other things that we want to believe and add to or adjust our Christianity. Here's the problem. We, we all do it to some degree. We don't even realize we're doing it a lot of times. But John's saying we've got to keep looking at that. We've got to keep examining our lives and the things we're believing in line with God's word. We can't mesh all sorts of different thoughts and religions with Christianity. Verse 10 goes on, whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself and whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. So again, John's saying the spirit, the water and the blood testify. They agree. They are truth because they are from God. If you have been born of God, 
You have the Spirit testifying in your heart. If you believe something different than what God says is true, though, then you're saying that you believe you know more than God. So followers of Jesus, this is a call out to us, too. Like, he's going after false teaching, but this is a call out to us, too. Sometimes we live our lives on cruise control. We feel like we have this good rhythm that God loves us, but we have failed to examine the influence in our lives, contrasting them with what God's word says. And, and I'm going to draw out a few examples of what happens when we do that. When we do that, the breakdown of marriage and family is just as bad in the church as it is in the world around us. When we do that, intimate relationships outside of marriage are ignored or sometimes even encouraged. When we do that, it, it becomes okay to ignore sin that God is making us aware of, like how I might speak to my children or how I might treat brothers and sisters in Christ, how I treat my neighbor, how I love God with my life. And John's calling us back here and he's saying, look, either God is right or God is a liar. There is no neutral ground. Either God is right or God's a liar. We either acknowledge that we need God through the work of his son, or we're telling him he is a liar and we do not need him. And if we reject God to his extreme and unbelief, but even sometimes as, as believers, as we're trying to live this life, we're saying to him, God, you lied about my sin. You lied about your son. You lied and I don't need your blood shed for me. I don't need your grace. Jesus is not my only hope. God, I don't care what you say. Not a follower of Jesus. I just want to stop and say, what if God is right? What if God's right? Are you going to reject the one who says, I see the pain you have. I see the brokenness you're experiencing. I've sent my son. His blood was shed to cover your sin. And if you turn to him, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be faithful to you. If God's right, that's what we get when we follow him. But sometimes not realizing it, we can be like the wounded Nazi officer. Maybe you've heard the story. He'd been wounded um, towards the end of World War II and he was laying in a British hospital he needed blood, and they're getting ready to give him blood, and he says, stop. Is that blood British blood? Yeah, of course it's British blood. We're in a British hospital, and he said, I'd rather die than have that blood pumping through my veins. This morning, God's testimony is that everyone needs to say, I am dying, there's nothing I can do except 
to turn and to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ through his work. And so followers of Jesus, here's what happens when we do. Look at verse 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. You see, we, we deal with fighting these, um, these false teaching, these lies, acting like we know better than God. Believing that we know more than God and we, we wrestle with those things as followers of Jesus. But then we come back to this, is to God's faithfulness, is to his testimony. He's given us eternal life and his life is in the Son. And so it frees us, y'all. It frees us to confess the things that we want to hide. For two reasons. Number one, God already knows about them. And number two, he's paid for them. So we can confess it. And it frees us to acknowledge that we have a debt we can't pay. But we have to confess that we're helpless outside of the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. The testimony of God, that's the only message that will save us. This message will change our hearts. It will change our actions. It will make us begin to realize that, that what he's saying is for our good and it's not to be burdensome. Because through the blood of Jesus Christ, God is faithful to those who are born of him, even when we make him seem like a liar. This week, a couple days ago, I had the privilege um, of praying and uh, leading at my grandmother's memorial service. My grandmother became a believer um, late in life. I was about 15 years old. And so um, for 25 years, I've been able to watch her and watch kind of have a front row seat of how, yes, she was still living. She was still acting at times like she knew better than God. She was still believing that she knew more than God. She was, she was wrestling with those things. But I saw God's faithfulness. And she grew. And even a few days before she passed away, we saw a tenderness and a love from her deeper than we had ever seen. It had been growing. But there was a tenderness and there was a love there that only God could have brought in her. And so on July 12th, when she went fully to be with Jesus. We know that God had completed the work that he began in her. Followers of Jesus, we need to examine our hearts to see where we are asking, to, for, to ask God to keep showing us those places he needs to work and asking him to change us. But y'all, that is a safe place to be. Because God is faithful. Because the blood of Jesus has been shed for us. And he has promised to complete what he started. 
I want to ask you um, in just a moment, we're going to celebrate that as we come to the Lord's table. But I want to ask you to take a minute and ask him to show you um, those places in your life where you're acting like you know better, um, where, you're, where you're believing that you know more. Um, and then we'll come to the table together. I'll just leave some silence um, and then I'll pray for us in a moment. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.